Hello everyone, Barney here. Welcome to Loco Ludus. Today's episode is an interview with Paul Sinjin McIntosh, the author of Casting the Runes, which was very recently published by The Game Mechanism. And I think within a week of publication, The Game Mechanism, based in the States, had uh, sold out of their print copies. That's brilliant. That's amazing. God knows how big the print run was, but that doesn't matter. It's a sellout. Um, There are, though, there is a UK supplier whose name I've forgotten... So I'll put that in the notes. And they appear to still have some copies. So not sold out in all territories. Anyway, uh, what else to say? It was it was doing really, really well on drive-through as well. So what does this mean? It means that... I'm talking to a really interesting games designer who has had a a really fast success with with their work and that is that's a wonderful thing isn't it So we talk about Paul's Casting the Runes game, which is an investigative supernatural game system which uses the gumshoe uh, engine, and the the setting is the is the 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 ghost stories, or the supernatural stories, I should say, of M.R. James. And I think this is really nice because it, you know, it brings some other literary sources into our gaming world. What's very interesting is that Paul also actually kind of uses that as as a way to signpost the world of folklore and folk horror. So, I really enjoyed our chat. We, we kind of, the, the plan to, to do an interview came very, very quickly, um, which is probably the best way to do it. Otherwise, I, I desperately try and plan when these things can happen and 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 as soon as i ever look at my calendar uh it starts to um swim in front of my eyes so it's probably best to just grab grab the moment when you can um and we we talk about all sorts of things as as is the way with these things um and Oh, what did I want to say? Oh, I asked him. I asked him a bit about 
how he handles investigation because that connects in lots of ways with the ongoing debate that I've had, if you like, over Andy Goodman's expedition to the Grizzly Peaks podcast to do with... uh, yeah, under under the whole eldritch organ idea. So those questions of investigation come into it, and you know elsewhere in my thinking. Paul throws out some really interesting suggestions for games, and there's a little nice little interesting guest appearance in the interview. Um, and. He was just a really nice, enthusiastic person to speak to. So I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did doing it. And there'll be more soon. All the best. When we get over Ming's kingdom, we should land near the entrance of the abandoned drain tunnel. Our ship can be well concealed there. I remember the place. Hello, Paul. It's very nice to have you on the show. Hi. Good to be good to be on, and a great great to get a chance to talk to you. This is a really off the cuff thing, isn't it? You've got a game just out, and I've got a new mic, so um, there's fun to be had for all. Which is an amazing looking new mic. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I might show you the whole thing another time, but oh, you know, you know I'd only I'm teasing it to you. Right now, it's definitely looking good enough. Excellent. Now, Paul, when I have guests on the show, I don't go in for the standard biography questions. I, I try and think up some, some lateral, lateral biography questions to, to figure out, to get a cross-section of your being at this moment. Okay, as long as you don't mind equally left field answers. No, that's what we want. That's what we right. want. So, and I and I try and I try and make them escalate and escalate towards the topic a little bit. So let's All see right. see how we okay. go. My first question, Paul. My first question is, what is your most overused ingredient when cooking? Oh, that's an easy one. Um, Garlic or garlic salt, no question. Okay, yeah, okay. I've been overusing it forever. Yeah, and yeah, you, my, like, you know, <clears throat> like and you like the salt. You go for the garlic. Yeah, salt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do mm-hmm. it's 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 an e- it's easy to it. You know, it's I I the more you know the more I go on, the more I love just simplicity. We've yeah, got it's we've, easy to add flavour. Yeah, basically, and you know, round out, give a meal a bit more of a dimension. Okay, the next question: I would like to know what your favourite childhood toy was or is. Mm, childhood toy. That's assuming my childhood is actually finished yet. But um, it was. It's more of a generic thing. There used to be such fantastic little spaceship toys when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind, it's the not especially large, not especially fancy, but they're like the tiny little Thunderbird fours, you know, that's about 
and it, yeah, about an inch long, those kind of things. I used inch to have loads long. of those and I loved it because they're such, well, two centimeters. They're such a, um, such a trigger to your imagination. Basically mm. used to make up, you know, science fantasy scenarios in my head all the time when I was a kid. And those are my props. And so, so those would be die cast, right? Oh, pla uh, die cast or plastic, or actually plastic. mostly plastic. Yeah. And I mean, that, that sounds to me like, a, like an epic scale space war game. You, oh, could, yeah. you could almost get it, something out of that. Yeah, if I had come along at a different time, I would have been 100% of Warhammer 40,000 junkie. Mm -hmm. As it is, I was just a little bit early to catch the habit, but you know, I can mm -hmm. definitely see the attraction. And I know my younger self would have gone for that big time. I have, I have a memory of being, of sitting in a trolley that was being pushed. It, I think it had, you know, by by my dad or my mum, it had it had gone a bit further than the supermarket, and it was in some kind of arcade. Um, so I guess this would be pre-magnetic trolley feet. Okay. <laughs> I I could be wrong. It could I could have been in a pram. I don't know, but I remember no. it being a trolley. And I remember this is I mean this is I, <laughs> the veracity of this I don't know, but I remember being that that there was a toy shop that I liked and going in there and I being in this trolley and this trolley moving towards the wall of Star Wars figures, which would Oh been... God, yeah, that would be an epic moment. It's like one of those camera tracks where the camera mm. goes down the in down the rails towards the towards the object of interest. Yep. And can definitely it, see why I, that would stick in your memory. You know, it, they were just and, and and so this was Return of the Jedi. And mm -hmm. by that point, those figures, those figures, whenever I dig you know, dig one out. Those figures were fantastic. The ones yeah. before were, a, a, you know, like Darth Vader was a bit spindly. Mm -hmm. And I think the newer ones now they've, they've over buffed them. But at that, those ones, they looked like the actors. Their costumes were great. They were nicely oh, painted. Yeah. I, I thought mean, those were fantastic. Again, I just, you know, Star Wars came along when I was an early to mid-teen, basically. So I missed the, that first huge wave of, you know, branded toys, memorabilia, franchise, franchise products, and so on. But the even now, God, if a guy, if if a boy's favorite toy isn't an X-wing or lightsaber, what mm. the hell? You know, that is the classic. Mm. Absolutely, so I, good. I also had a, a Boglin. Did you ever see a Boglin? No. No. So this is really an 80s thing. It was a kind of um, a, a rubber, a rubber a, a creature, a kind of weird, ugly, pixie type slug creature. So I, I that was another great one. I felt like I had a Jim Henson dark crystal toy you know that, that was could, that yeah. was pretty good although, and although i've never been a fan especially and i know how high dark crystal is rated especially like this latest rerun you know haven't seen any of that i haven't seen any of that i'm afraid um just to come back to you um do you still have those toys do you still have those oh, no, no, no. No. no in fact one of my real bitching things is that i think and i'll have to go look in the 
cupboards back in the UK to be sure, but I think I may have left behind all my old RPG stuff from when I was a team, from mm. you know my first my first go round with our with the hobby, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is a damn shame because that means that I would have lo- I've lost you know like first generation Call of Cthulhu mm. books and supplements, which were first generation RuneQuest stuff, which would be a real if it's all gone, it's a real damn shame because so, that, those were great. So you have a vision of a cupboard with all of these things in and you you you're 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 skeptical but you maybe have a little a, a glimmer of hope that it's the cupboard a, a the cupboard is still there and b the stuff in it yeah. that you left there is yeah still. because i've moved around a lot like i was 12 years in hong kong 12 years in hungary and now living in france just close to geneva and so a, long, a lot of stuff has gone a lot gone by the wayside along the way. And if that mm. stuff, that, or some of the stuff that got lost, I'm really damn sad because, mm. you know, first generation RPG stuff, looking back, even now, it's still so great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's partly the flavor of it, but a lot of it has aged really well. I mean, BR, you know, basic role playing, for mm-hmm. instance, mm-hmm up until uh, hasn't really developed enormously mm-hmm. since the, that first iteration. Mm-hmm. And so you're still working with a few, de- with, you know, with a few developments and refinements There's something very much mm. that is exactly like what was back then. Mm. I think, I think an interesting thing about it all is you get that sense, you get that sense that, oh, that, that, making loads of money is not the is not the driving force and it's not like that now with with everything but but there's you know we're all very much more clued up in terms Mm -hmm. of 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 creating products and thinking about audiences and all of those kinds of things and I think you get you know just by picking those old those old games oh, yeah. up Back and the way they're days, written. It was really, yeah, that was a really, that was a really hobbyist period. I mean, when people were just in 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 it for the sheer lunacy, mm. you know, the likes. I mean, God knows if Greg Stafford ever thought he would make any money out of it back in the day, mm. or you know, or, or yeah, or Sandy Peterson. But I mean, it's yeah, definitely had a very very different take on how. You know what you were doing, what you were doing, all, all this stuff for, and so on. And but but I think I think that that what's nice to go back to there is is that 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 drive is still there. That drive to mm-hmm. to put things out. Oh yeah. With new Definitely. ideas, you know mm-hmm. that's that's always a nice a nice touchstone. Yeah, because one refreshing thing, right, is I don't see the hobby being exhausted. Do no. You? Yeah, no, I mean, it looks all. like there's more new stuff, more ideas, more new areas being developed all the time, mm. which is fantastic. Mm. Well, which is one of the reasons why we're here, or why you're here, why we're talking about your game today. So we'll get yeah, to that. that we'll get intended, to that. We'll that wasn't intended that. as a lead in. The no, no, I'll take it as I'll I'll turn it into that. Okay, mm. well, but this is now. Now we get. Now we do get to the lead in a little bit. Okay, Paul. If you had to be haunted, who would you be haunted by? Now, I don't want you to say the name. I would like you to describe that person, please. Oh, I, 
It's gonna be. Um, don't say it. Don't say the name. Just describe them. Just describe. No, 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 them. Don't no. Say it's, it. I can say it's. Yeah, it's gonna because it's a. It's a. It's a prototype, and there's loads of fit. There's loads of appropriate personalities you can fit them to. It's gonna be some gorgeous, dark-haired, curvy woman. Probably dark-haired, curvy woman. Yeah. Probably Middle Eastern. Okay. So there you go. Okay. And then you can like fit and fit and Matahari or the Queen of Sheba, whoever fits. But anyway, look, come on. I mean, if you're gonna have to if you're gonna have to live with it, go with something fun, right? Why not? Yeah. So this is this is uh is that is, is that a succubus? Yeah, probably, but something, hey, is that something you only live once. Yeah, absolutely good. Okay, well now, now, now here we go. Now we're gonna see. Now we're gonna now we got it. <laughs> If you have, if you uh, had to haunt somewhere, where would you haunt? Well, it, it became, well, oh, if I, if I was able to, it depends if this is a haunting in a sort of benign sense, I'd probably be the benign, you know, guardian spirit of my, of my daughters. Mm -hmm. But if it was to be able to have all the real fun and get malevolence mm. and persecute people, mm. I'd want to be the ghost of QAnon. I'd want to be the, <laughs> the mysterious, vengeful spirit over the airwaves that screws uh -huh. with any uh -huh. alt-right conspiracy uh -huh. theory, racist nonsense, and basically, <laughs> you know, messes with the brains of all these hideous vermin in the way that they deserve and like really get inside i mean not that their heads aren't screwed up enough already yeah. but you know really twist and turn finish. their you, you want to finish minds. you want to finish the job yeah exactly you know just um, make them all make them all melt down in some sort of horribly self-destructive you know self-delusive holocaust so yeah because, you know to, to be able to to kind of um um, jam jam weapons uh or to or to alter placards or mm -hmm. um yeah or, or to kind of force people to say things that they didn't that th they don't want, really, yeah. didn't because want to say apart from any apart from anything else i'm a big fan of eclipse phase which uh, is i don't know that what's know, what's that it's um it's an art, it's a it's a post humanist uh, sorry it's a post but post apocalyptic transhumanist rpg oh and okay this is yeah. focus it a lot of the material is actually now available more or less um on um i think there's an srd around but okay. certainly it's um the premise is it's very much focused on, it's a science fiction one, obviously, mm -hmm. but it's very much focused on transhumanism as in humans developing into various species by uploading themselves, you mm -hmm. know, either making mm -hmm. themselves virtual beings or putting themselves into new different genetically engineered bodies, mm. uplifting other species so that gorillas and pigs and other animals and birds and fish are on a par with you know them in terms of intelligence and so on and yet in in the middle of all this wonderful like smorgasbord of development and and evolution there is also a massive a ai star you know rogue ai 
um, Terminator style threat, which has already practically destroyed the human race and is um, likely to come back and finish the job. And mm -hmm. the structure is to an extent it's um, Delta Green or X-Files in space. That is in this post apocalyptic um, solar system where the earth has been colonized by the rogue AIs mm -hmm. and the rest of the solar system is a bunch of isolated rival, struggling rival colonies mm -hmm. trying to survive and rebuild and trying to fend off the continuing threat that this net this these rogue AIs might come back and just completely wipe out the human race and every other race associated with it. There is a secret organization called Firewall, which is busy trying to protect the human race from extinction threats. And they're doing it in the same way that Delta Green does in the Delta Green setting. You know, basically they're underground. They are operating on a clandestine cell structure. They are, um, Un, either unknown to the general public or persecuted by the authorities. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're trying to carry on their mission of saving the human race at the same time as being hunted by the human race. And all in this bizarre transhumanist setting where just about any, um, any you can wear any body you want, you can enhance or transform your mind any way you mm -hmm. want, etc. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that is also a lot of the whole premise is based on you know computer science, virtual be in you know, virtual reality and so on. So a lot of the time you can actually hack people's um, personality. Okay. Hack yeah. their, you know, yeah. hack hack their worldview, hack their mindset. So that kind of haunting the conspiracy theorists is part is really part of the premise of that one. That's big time. That's and good. it's it's a terrific it's a yeah. terrific game. I mean, obviously, it's not going to appeal to everybody, but it's a real, it is a real classy, challenging, yeah. stimulating um, game world. It sounds very, very interesting. But look, let's turn to your game now, Casting the Runes. Okay. Um, which has just come out and is mm -hmm. already doing a roaring trade. Yeah, which um, has completely blown me away because I never expected that to happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I thought this would be just like a well-regarded little niche thing that only a few people would ever want to buy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, because I didn't think that it would have that much appeal, honestly. Um, so, so this, it's so it's it's as far as so I've not played it. You're the specialist. Mm -hmm. You're on here to to give us all of your erudition about all of everything that it involves. But as far as I get it, it's horror role playing in with with an Mr. James spin. Yep. Which kind of it's kind of in parallel, if you like, with with Lovecraft and Cthulhu, and it uses the 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 gumshoe system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And and you've and you and you did a Kickstarter. Yep. Now, so so I'd love to. I mean, what I always ask Rather people about, the, you know, the publisher did a Kickstarter. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So the publisher, the design mechanism. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of, one mm -hmm. of the things I always ask people is how is how the game developed, how the playtesting developed. I'm always interested in things that fell by the wayside or maybe 
were inspirational but didn't find their way into the game or mm -hmm. those little tidbits of the the early history of a game but i don't know would you would you be able to talk us through yeah, how the game absolutely came about? i mean it was it was almost uh, i wouldn't quite say random but it was almost just a sort of chance spark because you know i've been a horror story fan and writer for the longest time and um came across gumshoe um for the first time as a system and in this you know if there is this dichotomy between a narrativist versus simulationist role playing mm -hmm. which okay is a bit you know is it is there really such a diff, uh, such a dichotomy mm -hmm. who knows mm -hmm. but anyway i'm probably more on the narrativist side Okay. And one of my real first real brushes with that very storytelling focused approach was Gumshoe. Mm -hmm. And I read through Gum the Gumshoe SRD, read through Trail of Cthulhu, etc. I thought, hold on, this could really fit MR James. Mm -hmm. And then it just went from there. You know, it was just these two things coming together, and that was it. So um, you so, so you didn't have you didn't have an M you didn't you weren't already playing mr james before that no it was i mean the i had and had you know still a big uh, call of cthulhu trail of cthulhu knights black agents all of those still mm, a big fan mm, big player mm. when i get the chance mm. um but it wasn't especially that i thought oh mr james here's a great property why hasn't anyone done this with him yet I wasn't looking for a platform as such. It's just that when I came across it, it was such a naturally mm -hmm. good fit. I thought, hold on, if anything's going to fit Gumshoe, what would fit in? Mr. James and mm -hmm. then bang, two mm -hmm. together, and the two came came together, and that was it. What the one one thing that really appeals to me is that you're 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 kind of widening the the literary frame. Mm -hmm. in these horror games um yeah. of course you know we've got a nice lot of canonical figures that get mentioned and linked in with with games but you know to bring mr james in i, I suppose i'm mm -hmm. i'm more of a jay sheridan le fanu fan yeah who um, also by the way was to some extent not a big influence but i certainly tried to put him in as much as possible mm. I mean, it's of an earlier period, but I really wanted to capture all those great ghost story writers of that classic period. Sure. And, you know, I mean, and Dracula, I think, is amazing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's yeah. almost like that's that's the towering achievement of those mm -hmm. of those yeah. th those narrative forms and that kind of horror. Um, and I think once you clear away all of the all of the movies, all of the kind of the very generic Dracula-y things. If you actually mm -hmm. just drill down on what Bram Stoker has written, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yep. And and all of the the fact that it's, you know, it's a long, you know, it's a it's a book allows him to have all these kind of different uh uh enjoy enjoyments or you know enjoyable yeah. passages you know there are different kinds of thrills and threats uh, yeah. throughout it and, and there's multiple it's not yeah it's not surprising sorry. yeah yeah it's not surprising that um 
the Dracula dossier managed to get basically just about the world's greatest sandbox mm. campaign out of Dracula. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. after all, that's basically just picking up on all these different tre uh, elements mm. and saying, mm. here, you know, dive into whichever you want you want, pick up this thread of it, pick up that thread of it, this mm. aspect, that aspect, and just go with the Dracula you like. And you'll still end up with this amazing campaign mm. that likely is never going to exactly repeat what anybody mm. else has done with the campaign. Mm. So, so what is it then about M.R. James or what was it about M.R. James that really, that really captures your attention? Well, partly it was... Partly it was to an extent, I wouldn't say antique Call of Cthulhu and Trio Live, but it was the okay. chance to basically the chance to put to put together the opportunity to use all the great tradition in in like classic folklore, mm. classic mythology around one central set of stories or you know um or cultural property that really let you put those together and use them to the full on their own merits in a game setting because you know how for the longest time this has been this tendency with call of cthulhu that any figure any threat you run across turns out sooner or later to be an avatar of nilatotep yeah. or it's otherwise some transformation of a mythos trope now and yet there is so much amazing you know imaginatively stimulating scary as scary as anything classic folkloric material you know you've i mean the huge boom recently in folk horror that's just an indicator of how much great stuff there is out there mm -hmm. and if it's that good why not use it on its own terms you don't have to flip this to be some kind of a manifestation of the mythos just use it for what it is and yeah. that was a lot of the pro premise and the push behind making the game this way and mr james is the classic sort of he's a classic conduit for this you know he's using ghost stories he's using mythology he's using um material that actually draws on a really wide field of stuff, draws mm -hmm. on a much wider geographical area than many might, people might you know, think at first. Mm -hmm. And yet you've still got this classic haunted house tale mm -hmm. premise at the heart of it, which is, it's not something that's really been done in horror gaming before. I mean, you've got things like fear itself, which is more about the modern you know, like Amityville horror style horror. Mm -hmm. You've got mm -hmm. obviously Call of Cthulhu and Trail of Cthulhu. You've got Vampire, you know, Vampire the Masquerade mm -hmm. for the more sort of gothic, um, got exactly Dracula uh, element. Mm -hmm. But you didn't have to such an extent that classic ghost story horror gaming. Mm -hmm. And that was what I wanted. That was where I felt there was a gap that could be filled. Now, I mean, I suppose you as a designer, um, do, do, do you feel that in your approach to, to the world of the game, you know, in working on casting the runes, did, did that supernatural realm, did the occult realm have a logic, like, a, you know, a coherent logic to it, or, or did, or is it, 
Can it be scattershot or bitty or multiplistic? Well, I think it is. If you do push really hard, and I didn't quite get there, and I don't know if I'd want to quite get there, I think it is possible to just about make a common premise for the supernatural in any game world that can cover a great, you know, a great part of it. I mean, for it, power in um, in RuneQuest and in um, to a lesser extent, Call of Cthulhu power manages that because you have this fundamental single characteristic which is essentially spiritual energy mm -hmm. which can pretty much be the basis for just about anything supernatural whatsoever mm -hmm. however honestly i think a lot of the power of this and a lot of the lot of the horror in the supernatural comes in not explaining it too explicitly you know sure. in not i mean obviously you want to have a game mechanic that enables you to work with this stuff mm. but it doesn't necessarily have to be a fully worked out fully consistent premise for everything supernatural in your game because mm -hmm. that might just reduce it all to number crunching mm -hmm. which was mm -hmm. you know this is one thing i really wanted to avoid you know if there's going to be ghosts and horrors make them to some extent you know in the in the ways that really well done the call of cthulhu adventures can mm. do make sure that the horrors are not fully comprehensible mm. and certainly not fully defeasible you know not something that you can actually stack up x hundred hit uh, x hundred you know damage points and have any hope of defeating because where's the horror in that you know Maybe a lot of fun, but it's definitely not definitely not necessarily horrible. And I wanted to have a horror game. Mm. Mr. James is actually very good on that for the same re for a reason I think also crops up, crops up in Sheridan Le, Le Fanu. He's surprisingly cold blooded and ruthless at times. As a He's narrator. Yeah, I mean, he's mm. not exactly. He's a you know, a narrator, a narrator, storyteller, and constructor mm. of the constructor of the story. Mm. He is not quite the sentimental, you know, moralizing figure that you might expect from any from many Victorian writers and so on. Mm -hmm. He is very cruel and calculating and objective in what terms of what happens to perfectly nice unassuming people whose only vice might have been just a little bit too much curiosity mm -hmm. and in the end they suffer horribly for it mm. and that makes him a very good premise for a very effective horror game mm. Mm. Uh, what, what, a couple of questions there it is mm -hmm. is the game quite a fatal game then are, are characters likely to 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 meet their maker or rather after meeting the ghost or um no ironically after saying all that about the cold bloodedness <laughs> not necessarily because i mean for instance that it takes over the stability stat from gumshoe you know uh, which is you know your your, your measure of mental co um, of compass mentisness and mental strength but it doesn't take over sanity on the call of Cthulhu or the trail of Cthulhu type basis, because basically in Demar James's stories, people don't go mad. Okay. They may be absolutely frightened out of their wits, 
mm-hmm. but you don't find the bur- you know burbling in an asylum at the end of the story. Mm-hmm. However, mm-hmm. the um, so and but the threats and the menaces they still run across are, often, are usually going to be extremely potentially extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to incorporate some elements of the supernatural that don't require you to defeat the defeat mm-hmm. the thing in the sense of you know killing it is dispelling it or whether because in james's stories and in supernatural horror in general there's many stories and legends where you're not talking about defeating or laying a thing or it killing you you're just talking about witnessing it or experiencing mm-hmm. it i mean mm-hmm. classic real life supposed ghost sightings they're not about laying the ghost or the ghosts attacking people, they're just about seeing it. And so just the potential, the interest of just that sheer spooky encounter with the otherworldly as being in itself, you know, almost enough to make a really good story. Mm-hmm. That I wanted to keep in the game mm. as well. Interesting, interesting. And and what what is the range of supernatural creatures that, that is offered in the in the book? Oh, there's anything from Arthur Mackin's glorious creatures, you know, the little people, which are these sort of snake, snake-like um, troglodytes, or uh, rather like Robert E. Howard's, you know, Worms of the Earth. There's William, some of William Hope Hodgson's creatures, for instance, the swine thing, these awful pig, pig men that come boy, boiling out of the ground. There's clap classic gods and deities so you know in theory you could encounter hikati or odin just by going down the wrong path right. there's the jamesian monsters themselves and the fascinating thing is that <clears throat> a lot of james james had a very deep a very deep reservoir of um, scholarly knowledge and law at you know because he was a very very deep um historian, antiquarian, student of archaeology for the longest time, for decades. And he describes um, one or two creatures very lightly that are at, that actually have got a deep history and pedigree behind them, which mm-hmm. enables you to really put in some interesting background details. I mean, in Count Magnus, probably one of his most famous creatures, this horrible little dwarf thing that wears a monk's robe and has a tent has tentacles for arms and sucks people's faces off mm. and yes. that was from a the the scholars of james think that this was probably based on some these little roman uh, late roman period um mm-hmm. cowled figures that are kept appearing in statues and so on okay um, okay so 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 my question then to kind of go my question about the coherence here's what i think you know from what you're saying this is what i think i now would i now i want to ask it's do these do these creatures recur or are they singularities i there's a, a lot of them do recur however once again i mean there's certainly, based on the original stories, there's certainly ones where, for instance, the creatures are a manifestation of some unsubterranean race. I mean, mm. for instance, one of the playtests, we had a wonderful retelling of that famous disappearing lighthouse keeper story, you know, from the Hebrides, 
where three lighthouse keepers mysteriously disappeared from okay. the from this particular uh, Scottish island rock one um, winter, one winter, and um, no one's really been able to fathom out what happened. And so we did that basically as a siege, an assault on pre precinct thirteen, where the 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 um, the worms of the earth star creatures were boiling out of the ground to attack this lighthouse, and the lighthouse keepers were fending them off with signal rockets and right. so on. I mean, so although it's yeah. supposed, it's basically a supernatural horror game with a lot of quiet ghost stories, it certainly can fit in the more gung-ho yeah. combat-oriented approach as well. And just out of interest, is the, do you do you tend to want to 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 resolve the the adventures in one session or a couple of sessions or or that or is do you, is there also the possibility for the longer to... arc yeah. yeah i mean there is because again ultimately it's what how people want to use it and we try to give mm. people the option to use it in whatever way they want it mm. but which again partly goes to your first question about the um singularity or recurring creatures mm. like there to be both and above all i wouldn't like to people to feel that they're just restricted to the creatures in the book or to any particular set of legends or that the system and the mechanics constrain them in any way i mean if they can pull in mm. any kind of legend from anywhere in the world all this terrifically rich repertoire of folk material and put that into the game system and play it through that's what we would love to have mm. because mm. there's just so much material out there mm. and so back to what you were saying, we've stored, we, um, a lot of the adventures did play through in about two or three sessions. Hmm. I mean, James actually writes pretty short stories. Yes. So that certainly fits the material. But the, we also wanted to give things like campaign settings um, that would allow for, that would facilitate long story arcs. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of them, for instance, is the Society of Antiquaries. Now, James, I mean, his first book, his first two ghost stories collections are both called Ghost Stories of an Antiquary. He was big on antiquarianism. Mm. And the Society of Antiquaries actually exists, of course. But what nobody knows about until they read Casting the Runes is that it actually has a secret committee, Ooh. which is tasked with tracking down and constraining all these mysterious horrors that antiquarians across the across England and across the globe manage to unearth because mm. naturally if anybody is going to be tasked with making sure that the stuff that antiquarians discover doesn't get out and wreak havoc who is it mm -hmm. going to be but the society of antiquaries indeed so you can easily have this you know premise where a group of investigators are taken on by the secret of the special committee of the society of antiquaries and asked to do you know mm. sent out on missions to do just that mm. you know keep the supernatural in check does does the game the what you know does 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 the way that you've 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 created the game does it does it have a British or European flavour? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that could be. I hope it's not too, um, you know, too off-putting for American and other audiences that way, because 
we wanted to be true to James. Mm. You know, if people can use, people can absolutely use the system for like contemporary America, contemporary France, Germany, etc., whatever. But James is a very, very English author, and we wanted to keep stay true to that spirit. Mm. And I mean, you know, that's traditionally where, despite the fantastic American ghost story writers of that time, that's where this sort of classic mid to late 19th century early 20th century ghost story um you know or a genre or subgenre really developed it's james and it's other algernon blackwood arthur Mackin, sheridan lefanu bram stoker you know that's it's they're they're all where it's coming from originally i mean there's that funny thing with 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 lovecraft and others or poe that mm -hmm. that they they are kind of themselves europhiles yep. in a in a certain way so so i yeah. i'm sure it won't yeah very different i'm yeah. sure it won't um uh, yeah i think that that sorry sure. <laughs> you got, got a bagpipe problem yeah that's cuz um i'm a macintosh and that's actually yeah. the macintosh this is a macintosh bagpipe okay. um it's the um <laughs> the macintosh clan for some reason was actually pretty good in terms of bagpipe tunes and that's oh. one of the you know when the macintosh piper was leading the clan into battle that's one of the things that they would be playing so it was a, yeah. it was a family call then was it yep mm, <laughs> yeah. um yeah um uh, I did, I've got lots of lots of more things that I, I that I wanted to ask. Could um, could you could you just tell us a little bit more about the development of the game? Because we wonderfully went off in another direction. I'd love to hear yeah. how it how it started to come together. What's that story of? of oh well, as I said, this this weird thing where to some extent it was almost a collision. You know, it just didn't. Um, it didn't have a um it it didn't really have a slow period of gestation it just mm -hmm. happened when i saw how well these things fitted together and then mm -hmm. i just start and then i just frank frankly wrote it in a really short time or at least okay. a lot of it you know because the the um the gumshoe srd was already so well structured that to some extent it was quite easy just um you know um drop in the drop in the building blocks that yeah said, right yeah go on. um the, yeah that said honestly because sorry just let me do this That's all right. <laughs> sorry um because to some extent the um as I, since i was sort of learning as i went on um it was as i started looking into later iterations of gumshoe i was starting to come across other ideas and i thought holy hell holy hell that's really good gotta put that in mm -hmm. and you know so to some extent backtracking i mean particularly mm -hmm. because um for instance the fall of delta green came out while i was still writing the casting the roots mm -hmm. and fall of delta green is fantastic mm -hmm. you know as a as a gumshoe um implementation it's wonderful Mm -hmm. and it's period detail and you know the way that it has a slightly different take on the 
Delta Green slash Call of Cthulhu Mythos is terrific. Mm -hmm. And so that was such an inspiration. I then thought, holy goodness, I got to put some of this in there. Mm -hmm. And especially when the later versions of the system started fixing to an extent some of the shortcomings of Trail of Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. For instance, the the use of network, which you have in Knights Black Agents and later in um, uh, Fall of Delta Green, where essentially, if you haven't got one of these crucial skills that the game and the solving the clues depends on, mm. you have a network of other people who do. Mm -hmm. You know, so you allocate mm -hmm. your network mm -hmm. points and you get your instant on tap experts. Mm to tap into whenever there's something you don't know yourself, mm -hmm. which is obviously much more realistic than assuming that the investigators themselves know everything. Indeed. And so that was something I wanted to put into the system, partly because also one of the great things about the Edwardian period is this network of contacts, you know, confidants, old mm. school Thai chums and so on that everybody is supposed to have. Mm. So I thought it was a great way to get that important thing into the system that also matched the period mm, mm. and so to an extent i was revising it quite a lot as i went as after that first cut was done mm -hmm. i might revise it still if i had a chance to go back further over it but as you know as it is i'm fairly well happy or at least everybody else seems to be but sure. you know it's always because always things you can improve and and so so how was it in terms of you know, I mean, you know, I'm interested in this, in the whole thing for myself, in a way, you know, this whole process, mm -hmm. the play sure. testing and the feedback and the kind of con contributions or the critiques that people give you through play. Mm -hmm. is it, did anything, did anything leap out of that process or aspect? Um, no, ironically not. Mm -hmm. But I think that's probably more down to gumshoe than to me. Sure. Yeah. Sorry, just uh... I'm doing an interview. I'll call you back in a moment. Dad, it's... Dad, I'm doing an interview. I'll call you back in a moment. Okay, fine, bye. Sorry, it was a family call. <laughs> That's brilliant. Feel free to cut that bit That's out. That's brilliant. <laughs> I, anyway, I'm, temp I'm tempted to just leave it in if that's all right. It's, no, whatever. It's yeah, you know, as you like, you know, that's, yes, yes, the great, the, the design of these hideous games is really, a, you know, a fam, a friendly family man after all. <laughs> um. So, yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's an interesting answer that you just gave about yeah. not encountering too many mechanical issues. Yeah. Because, because but I, I do think it's gumshoe, really. Yeah. Because, you know, the, so the system was essentially so well laid out already mm, mm. and fitted the material so well as well mm. that we, you know, there's, I mean, of course, there may well be stuff that other people come across doing the game that we haven't really thought of or encountered, but fingers crossed there, um, we, I think we played it for long enough and God, it was great mm. fun, but I think mm. we probably squeezed, you know, squeezed a lot of the juice. Mm. So... Uh Hopefully we did manage to pick up any issues, but we didn't. There really didn't seem to be many. Now, as as I know you know, you know, I've been having this long discussion with Andy Goodman at Expedition to the Grizzly Peaks about improvisation yeah. and investigation. Oh yeah, which is a an, a favourite subject of mine as well. It, and that's what I wanted to ask you about. How 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 do you 
run investigations and how specifically, if you like, does that manifest in casting the runes? What, you know, what, what tidbits, tips have you got for us? In casting the runes, I'm not sure I'd have too many. However, I must say that lately, for instance, I've been diving into Kevin Crawford's work. Okay. You know, Silent Legions and so on, basically these fantastic Cthulhu mythos-esque sandboxes. You know, where you basically, you, in your classic um, fashion, you've got your 20 or 40 or 100 different options. You roll your dice and the result is, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Because, and partly that probably works because he's done it so well, mm-hmm. but he really has done a fantastic, I mean, you know, Silent Legions is a fantastic, a fantastic inspirational aid anybody running a Lovecraftian camp or a remotely mythos or horror campaign, even if you're not actually Mm. follow, you know, using his system per se, it's really inspirational. And partly, you know, it's just shaking up, taking the elements, reducing something like the Cthulhu mythos to some core premises and ideas and tropes. Mm -hmm. And then, putting them there for you to throw up in the air and let fall down in whatever pattern you like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then to some extent, I think it is possible, and especially with players who are really on the same page in terms of the kind of story they want to tell, to improv it to that degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, also in um, there's a wonderful uh mechanic in atomic robo this uh the fate based game of the atomic robo cartoon which is um brainstorming and this essentially is something like it's a three-step or four-step process mm-hmm. um where the players and this is not with the gems in an intervention particularly although i think he gets to give hints every now and again mm-hmm. occasionally they encounter something, they encounter phenomenon, they encounter ants, for instance, and they all, they all start, they brainstorm around the table and they say, what's our high hypothesis here? Mm-hmm. You know, what's our first stage hypothesis about what these ants, how, what's causing these, you know, manifestations? And here's ants, what connection do the ants have with the manifestations? And then someone, maybe someone, one of the they get together the first pre- stage premise that ants have a group mind. And then the next stage premise, group minds may have telepathic powers or whatever. And so, you know, it builds up. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. by the end of the brainstorming session, the players have between them created a rationale for the situation, which then must be true. And the GM has to follow and deliver on that hypothesis for the rest of the adventure, which I think is fantastic. Because, I mean, for a GM, it's such a challenge, but it also gives, you know, it gets everybody's imagination involved. Yeah, yeah. And it really, you know, there, there is maximum player agency Mm -hmm. but at the same time they're not the players aren't then getting to script everything Mm -hmm. you know they're getting Mm -hmm. they're getting to more or less come out with what they think is going on but then all kind depending on what they have thought all kinds of crap could be about to fall on their heads depending on what they have decided is happening 
what's what's so interesting about all of that is is that the players basically get to preempt their own problems yeah exactly you know, and, I, it, yep. and that's and, and that's that seems mm -hmm. to me seems kind of totally fair enough because yeah. they are they're, they're basically saying what they would like not to like to encounter exactly which i mean it's a wonderful yeah. way of making sure that it gets on everybody's yeah. page and that yeah. they're all going for the same yeah. the kind of adventure they want yeah and yeah. you know it's still up to the gm to strike to then play that through in such a way that he's still throwing surprising and interesting mm. and challenging challenges at them mm. but it, yeah mm. for all those reasons that you just said i think it's a great way to go Mm. And it's also very doable. You know, there is a genuine mechanism there that actually works, that, mm -hmm. that works, that does the job mm -hmm. mechanically. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. from that point of view, that absolutely makes the case for improv as far as I'm concerned. Mm. And, I mean, and just just out of interest, you you as a GM, how how do you how do you handle clues for your players or um what what's that? What's that negotiation like? Oh, to some extent. I mean, although I probably have a fairly easy time in terms of clues and clue trails and investigations, because we all know, you know, again, it's everybody wanting to be on the same play page. We all know the kind of stuff that interests each other. We're fairly clear on, you know, the structure of how these classic tales work out. Mm -hmm. So normally my clues aren't going to be that difficult especially for the you know for the for the guys i've been playing with for the longest time mm. but um i like to make sure for one thing that yeah there's um there's always a backup plan b default you know second um, redundant multiple redundant systems for your clue trail because mm -hmm. Clues are inevitably going to be, even if you have a system like Gumshoe, where in principle you should automatically get the clue without mm. rolling for it, people are always going to misinterpret. They're mm. always going to follow the wrong red herring. Mm. There's always going to, I mean, in, in this is not just within gaming. In actually, um, there's at least one manual of intelligence and spycraft that i read in the course of preparing the game which said the challenge in intelligence is not finding the information it's interpreting it mm. you know that you have to it's basically what you what you read whether you read the clue once you've got it correctly or not mm. and so from that point of view as much as pay as not being able to find the clues Mm. I try to give them multiple pointers, mm -hmm. you know, just because I'm fairly sure that sooner or later they're going to get it. And they do frequently actually get it pointing the wrong way. Mm -hmm. You know, there mm -hmm. there's some cases where they, you know, that by the time the adventurers finished, they actually know perfectly well what's going on and all they need to do is stop it happening. And there's others where really they didn't get it until the very, until the very final reveal which is great, mm -hmm. but that's mostly mm -hmm. not because of shortage of clues. It's simply because they misinterpreted the information they had on hand. Mm. Mm. And I don't see, you know, I don't, in cases like that, I don't see any reason to correct them until they finally find out what's going on. You know, just let them, 
if it's if they're going the right way for the wrong reasons let them go on and do it <laughs> and if they're going the and let them yeah, run into whatever they might find okay because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i mean that's you know if you know that i mean it's part of the reason not making the supernatural too predictable again so there's still some freshness in interest and genuine scares yeah if you come across you know oh it's a vampire shit we got it wrong it's a ghoul mm. you know that kind of moment where you think you know what it is mm. but you realize at the last moment you don't mm. and actually you brought them on the wrong stuff for the job mm. and therefore you know there's some um, you've got to backtrack and death frantically make do at the last minute uh, you, you know your point earlier on about the 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 primacy of witness you know there's there's maybe nothing more than simply witnessing and acknowledging yeah. that's really interesting because you could almost have situations where people have seen something um but and but they're scrabbling around to get any evidence in mm-hmm. yep. to take back to to mm-hmm. the authorities to to yep. finally challenge our worldview yeah um, exactly and yes you know all you can say is no it happened but yeah where's the proof yeah i mean on the other hand you look at the opposite approach with trailing cthulhu and call of cthulhu that if you manage to get away from an adventure without having any material evidence that to some extent preserves your sanity because then your old style yeah. worldview can still stay together without being confronted by the awful reality and genuineness mm. of the eldritch horrors it's well it's it's damned if you do and damned if you don't damned if you don't yeah which is i mean if you're a horror gm that's a great place to be in because <laughs> yes. i do love messing with people that yeah way. Yeah. Um, well, Paul, that's um, that's wonderful. I'm, I'm sure there are many, many other things we could talk about, but I think we've um, we've gone round the houses, uh, and and I'm certainly very excited to play casting the runes. Um, yeah. Well, I certainly hope that everybody that does play has as much fun as we did with it, and really loved would really first of all really love to get the feedback second would really love for this to be the springboard for people to get out there dive into the massive repertoire of folk history folk Mm. legend traditional folk horror and really like you start using that stuff to the max Mm. to create some really fantastic adventures I, I did a talk just before Christmas on um, role-play games as folkloric practice, if you mm-hmm. can believe that. So, yeah. I, right up the right street yeah, there, definitely. Absolutely. No question. Um, so I guess my, my one question would be, what's next? What's next, Paul? Well, next is, first of all, the stuff that I probably am allowed to talk about as opposed to stuff that I haven't, you know, cleared with the publisher yet. But definitely it's going to be, there's certainly going to be at least one, if not two more volumes of um, um, Casting the Runes, Adventures and Scenarios out there. Okay. Partly because the... um, the stuff we did, the stuff we went through in playtesting, there's so much great material there mm-hmm. that I can't wait to put out for people to. So yeah, that's definitely coming. So so do I have this right that uh, most of the most of the scenarios aren't necessarily directly taken from 
Mr. James, but no. they but they tap Not into they tap yeah, into like you keep saying yeah. these these they tap into they tap into Jamesian themes. Mm. There is one of the two scenarios in the book is actually practically a beat by beat recasting of a classic ghost story by another author but it's not james mm -hmm. i won't say who it is in case it's a spoiler for anybody but anyway that's um but it definitely it does go through this ghost story which is actually i mean that's another thing all these great ghost stories are just trying to be turned into great scenarios sure you know so yeah. people should get out there and you and get the and use the book for that um, I mean, I, I, I suppose we we shouldn't we shouldn't wrap up by without without talking about what is it, Night of the Demon, which oh which, yeah, I love that yeah, mm -hmm. which which is the film based on casting the runes, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And yep. um, I remember watching that when I was quite young and and being being really impressed with that and as, yeah, especially before you saw the demon, there was just this. Mm -hmm this sense of this yeah, of, of broom yeah the approaching menace and horror yeah it's it's not only a terrific film i think it's great in showing how modern or timeless at least the structures of james's stories are because despite the fact that he he's he is as edwardian as a bottle mm. of camp coffee essence mm. and yet you see something like the Night of the Demon, which is mm. almost a straight retelling. Yeah, they just recast it into what 50s and 50s period UK or America, and it fit. It still hangs together so well. Mm. And James, in his own James, in his own writing, definitely recommended that it was you know best to stick with the what was contemporary to the narrator or okay. contemporary to the main protagonist, I'm, you know, which simply was, you know, he was an Edwardian, so he wrote what, about what was around him or wrote what, about was what was around his characters. Mm. But he definitely recommended being up to date in that sense. I, I feel that uh, very strongly as well with Apocalypse Now and Heart of Darkness. You know, when, mm. you, when you read Heart of Darkness, you see that Apocalypse Now yep. is pretty much just following Conrad. straight down the line um, yeah. ironically the period version that someone did of Heart of Darkness trying to set it back when the book was written mm, didn't work anything mm, like as well as mm, Heart Apocalypse now did mm, mm. absolutely absolutely super thank you Paul now I, I finish my interviews with with a couple of questions um, and it's about offerings to the ludic behemoth when I started the podcast, I thought I would have a ludic oh, and It so makes me feel like I'm going to like throw sacrifices into the maw of this ghastly Moloch-like figure made of dice. Yeah, exactly. That's what, what the, the more offerings, the more ludic offerings it gets, the more it's being develops, you see. So that is, is, that is exactly, you're exactly right. And so I ask everyone two questions. And the first question is, can you offer, can you suggest a game mechanism or component and as an offering? And the second one is, can you give us an underrated character archetype or skill? Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, by the way, when you say um, 
a mechanism? Is that one that is, um, is that going to be sacrificed as in like burned up and never used again? Or is it more something that can be, I think. Well, this is, this is just, I've had this before. I've had this before. <laughs> it's a celebratory, it's a celebratory gift. You're, you're giving the best thing that you want to see more of. Okay, in that case, I'm not going to give the spot hidden fail because that's the one <laughs> that is what I would like to see burned up and yeah. consumed and never used again. No, now that's that's one... really that's really interesting because because that kind of comes back to the investigation thing and perception mm -hmm. checks or spot hidden checks. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, okay. So you would you would if we were going in the other direction, that would be. Added. Yeah, I, I definitely I would basically I would happily you know put this put the spot hidden fail on the sacrificial altar and plunge a knife into its heart no question <laughs> you know but I'll bury it at the crossroads with its head with its head cut off and the stake through its heart never to rise again but I mean in terms of more positive things um it's oh the um and probably this is the underrated skill one as well but um um it's the fate points uh come fate points in fate come any other system that uses um that has some kind of mechanism for effort for that fight including things like the call of cthulhu push seventh edition pushed rolls you know stuff where people got around the got their heads into the eye got their heads around the idea that people should be able to make maximum effort in certain circumstances and that not all dice rolls should be equal because yeah there are times in life when you put more effort into stuff than you do at other times and games ought to reflect that and so whatever the mechanism you use whether it's the push rolls in, in call of cool thulu seventh edition whether it's more pool points in gumshoe whether it's using your fate points in fate, whichever, that principle of allocating more effort, more of your finite resource mm. to some really important stuff, mm -hmm. I think really helps with the drama and the emphasis and the whole feel of a game and an of an adventure. Well, that's very heartening to hear because in the role play system that I'm working on, the big one, the dice pool one, mm. there's a similar... There's a similar Good. thing yeah. in there. Um, that it, definitely ought to be there. Agreed. Yeah. No so, question. Thank you. Um, so you feel that you've hit you've hit the behemoth, you've hit both the behemoths oh, with one stone, or you've thrown. Well, maybe if 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 it's an underrated one, or I don't think it's necessarily so. Um, which is another maybe another fate thing because preparedness in gumshoe is already really well celebrated everybody mm -hmm. loves that you know mm -hmm. the idea that you can roll a dice and you come up with the stuff that you forgot to pack at the beginning of the adventure like yeah. a smaller version of the um flashback principle that you see in blades in the dark yeah but um the it's create advantage in fate and i'm sure there's other similar uh, mechanisms in other systems mm. but i love this idea that you use this to set and you don't actually make the killer role yourself, but you set up things in such a way that someone else can riff off what you've done and use that to make the killer role. 
and it's such a great way to pass you know work as a group pass mm. the advantage between each other mm. really make i mean it's like it's like football or or, or rugby or something mm -hmm. you know passing the ball setting each other up mm. um working as a team mm. you know and that's a great mechanism for doing yeah. that yeah i think i so, think yeah, so. yeah in incentives incentives to draw the group together at the same time yeah. as it's quite nice to 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 have little things that 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 push them apart so oh, little, yeah, that's... little 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 areas I mean, of contestation yeah occasional you know never hurts to have players occasionally get up you know get up get up and get in each other's faces definitely mm. super paul thank you ever so much and the ludic behemoth I can, I can it's see. Well, it's well, it's well satisfied. It's, it's like, it's, per, it's beaming. It's beaming. <laughs> not least, not least, because you've you've got a game out as well this week. Yeah. Happy with it, and I hope everybody else will be too. Thank you very much. Take care, Paul. Great to talk. Thanks yeah. for having me. Bye bye. bye.